Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. The, uh, this week, uh, well, certainly notable things happen every week, but uh, this week had uh, certainly something very notable for those of you who are following the news, and I'm sure it's most of you because, let's be honest, there isn't much else to do these days. And so um, the news was, uh, was marking for us the passing of an important Jewish character, and that is Jackie Mason. Uh, Jackie Mason, uh, to a uh, more uh, newer generation, perhaps they don't know him so well, but uh, for a generation of people, starting probably from the mid-80s to uh, late 1990s, uh, Jackie Mason had a series of some of the most popular, enduring, uh, successful Broadway shows. Uh, this came after a period in his life where he was in some kind of show business purgatory. Uh, in the late 1960s, he was a rising comedian, uh, a frequent guest on the uh, Ed Sullivan Show, and he had, um, he had committed what would be a major, major gaffe, and that was um, during one of his routines. He ad-libbed and he imitated Ed Sullivan. And that ended up putting him into, uh, he never appeared again on the Ed Sullivan Show. His uh, career went into a steady decline. For those people um, who maybe frequented uh, the Borscht Belt, the upstate New York uh, Jewish hotels, in the uh, 70s and early 80s, we'll well remember Jackie Mason being a frequent performer at Kutcher's and the Concord and Grossinger's. That was kind of, and he would also perform down in Miami Beach. That was kind of the world that he functioned in. Listen, he made a decent living. You know, he used to joke and say, he goes, I have plenty of money unless I have to buy something, right? He always uh, made a decent living, but it was only until he rolled off into Broadway that he once again become not only a household name, but uh, his success went through the roof. Most today, when you go on Netflix and you see stand-up comedy routines of Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or um, C.K. Lewis, people like that, Lewis C.K., excuse me, um, the idea that they would be one person appearing on a stage for an entire show doing a routine was unheard of until Jackie Mason's The World According to Me. Nobody ever did it before. He actually began his routine, and I know this because, well, there's two reasons why I know this. I'll tell you the simple reason first. I know this first and foremost because uh, when I was in the 80s, before I went up to Israel, and then afterwards, um, they had produced a uh, cassette recording of the show. And you could go to the store and buy the cassette recording of the entirety of Jackie Mason's Broadway show. So um, I was a little embarrassed because I was maybe, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, and it didn't seem so cool to go to a, a store and buy the recording of Jackie Mason. So I stole my father's copy. <laughs> I never told him. I told him a few years later. Anyway, he was looking around for it. He couldn't find it. He ended up buying a new one. Um, and I used to listen to it. I took it with me to Israel. So he used to begin his routine like this. He used to start off by saying, you know, you're all here to listen to one person in a Broadway show. No one's ever done anything like this before. He goes, usually, you know, you have uh, 10 people on a show and people say that's okay. And then he says, you know, the more people you have on the show, the bigger, better the show you think it is. He says, eventually you have a thousand people on a show. You go, well, what a kind of show that was. A thousand people running back and forth all day long. Um, but he had broken ground on this one personality 
standing on a stage. The other way that I know Jackie Mason was, uh, not only from seeing him up in Kutcher's and Concord and the Grossinger's, was that Jackie Mason's older brother was my day school principal. Uh, his obituaries from this past week wrongly report that he was a rabbi. Jackie Mason was not a rabbi. Jackie Mason had learned chazanut, to be a chazan. His brothers were rabbis, in fact. One of them, as I said to you before, was my, uh, was my principal. And uh, in a testament to uh, Jackie Mason in ways that, uh, to be honest with you, people seldom speak about because they probably didn't know it, his uh, brother always lived in a very respectable home, drove a new car, and dressed very respectably. And everyone clearly knew it wasn't because of the salary that he was earning, that his brother, Jackie, even though um, he had fallen from grace and was cobbling a living together, working the Jewish borscht belt, both north and south, always ensured that his brothers, who were working on behalf of the Jewish community, lived comfortable, respectable lives. So uh, Jackie Mason is well-remembered. <laughs> and uh, for those of certain generations, uh, his mark that trademark voice, <laughs> it still rings very much in our ears because we remember that distinctive twist and the remarkable timing Jackie Mason had. Few comedians had the kind of timing that Jackie Mason had. Okay. So uh, this past week, I was driving one of my kids to the airport. He had to go to the States to, uh, for, a, for a business thing. And uh, as we were driving on the Allen Road to get to the Pearson Airport, uh, I look behind me in my rearview mirror, and I see not one, but two, but two uh, convertible Bentleys. And it brought, uh, it brought to me a memory that I had as a child. After my bar mitzvah, my parents told me that uh, Irv Horowitz was going to come by on Sunday morning and drop off my bar mitzvah gift. Irv Horowitz was famous in the Jewish community because he drove a Rolls-Royce. Now back then, you didn't see Rolls-Royces. People spoke about it. They would go, what is this, a Rolls-Royce? They used it as a punchline. It was never actually anything you saw. Now often, we drive on the roads and we see them. That's probably because we live in Forest Hill and it's a different world we live in today. But it was not common at all. And so my sister and I, waited by the front window to see Irv Horowitz pull up in this gold, brownish gold Rolls Royce. And it was like someone from a different planet arrived in the world. I lived on a street where there were Oldsmobiles and maybe a Cadillac every once in a while. And this Rolls Royce begins to make its way down the street and pulls up into our driveway. Anyways, he dropped off a beautiful gift. And the point that I'm trying to make is, is that the feeling that I had that Irv lived on a different planet, a place so profoundly moved, removed and distant from where I am, is an example of the problems that money can create. Wealth, while being a blessing, can also be a curse. Wealth, while being able to bring comfort and a project power in people's lives, it can also create and visit upon people deep troubles and worries. Money is capable of many things, some of them good and some of them bad. 
And one of the things that comes by way in this Torah's port, in this morning's Torah portion, I think is a lesson in some respects on the limitations of the power of money and how it can both cure and how it can also hurt someone, how it can save and how it can damn. It's interesting to note that in Jewish law, that if someone receives charity, that they're still obligated to give charity. It's interesting that no matter how little you have, that if you are, even if you are the recipient of someone who lives off of charity, that you're still obligated to go and give money to other people. That this expectation that nobody should be immune to the idea of giving something of themselves. That money is something that isn't necessarily an object of power or a symbol, but that what Judaism tries to tell us over and over again that money should be seen as a tool, a tool by which that we can make our own lives deeper and the lives of other people better and more comfortable. What's the old Jewish expression? God created poor people to help rich people know what to do with their money. But the question comes from this morning's Torah portion it's a question asked by a famous Hasidic rabbi known as the Gera Rebbe. He was from the Polish town of Gur. The Gera Rebbe asked the following question. Because in this morning's Torah portion, it tells us about the man, the manna that came from heaven, that the Israelites subsisted on, we are told, for those 40 years while they wandered in the desert. That when they would wake up in the morning and exit out of their tents, that there would be this manna from heaven. There would be this man that was on the ground and it would sustain them the entire day. The exception was, of course, that on Friday morning, there wasn't just one loaf of manna of man per person. There was a double portion so that they wouldn't have to collect it on Shabbat. And that's the reason why, one of the reasons, why on Shabbat we always have on our Shabbat table two loaves of challah because it represents the double portion of manna of man that came from heaven. So the, so the Gera Rebbe asked this question. He says, what kind of charity could the people who wandered the desert for 40 years have given? I mean, they themselves were living off of charity. The charity came by way of the man, the manna that came from heaven, the charity that God had extended to themselves. And so the Gera Rebbe asked the question, what could they have given of themselves to charity since they had nothing themselves? And he goes and says this, that in Jewish tradition we are told that the, that the man, the manna from heaven, would taste like anything that you wanted it to taste like. So if you, I don't know, you were thinking about a brisket sandwich, it would taste like a brisket sandwich. If you were thinking about a Sunday, it would taste like a Sunday. And for the generation of people who came out of slavery, who only subsisted on slave food, that there was a, also a cohort of people who remembered what food tasted like beyond just the meagerness of what the slaves were given. And they would walk around and tell and describe to people as they were eating the manna what other food 
tasted like. And it inspired other people to imagine the different tastes of food. In other words, what was the Gera Rebbe teaching us? That we give charity not only with money, but one of the, also the great acts of charity in, is to inspire people to imagine different things, to imagine a different world, to imagine an existence beyond what they can see. And isn't that true for all of us? That our lives are made richer not only by the things that we give to people monetarily, and not only the things that we take monetarily from people, but one of the great, great contributions that synagogues and Jewish institutions make to Jewish life, the reason why you were sitting here this morning and you were watching here this morning is because we provide ways for people to imagine life in different ways. That you should expect to walk out of synagogue, out of shul, on Shabbat morning saying to yourself, I thought of something I never imagined before. I saw something and I understood something in a different way that I never thought of before, that I see my life and my world a little bit differently. It was Emerson, the great American transcendentalist from the 19th century who said, listen carefully, because he was brilliant. Emerson wrote, it is hard walking with a full cup. What did he mean by that? He meant, that when you live a life that has so much, it's hard getting around because we're carrying so much with us. And one of the great things that people can bring to us is the ability to see beyond what we carry in our cup and the things that we carry within ourselves. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.